This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show. The award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. Hi, thanks for joining us. My name is Bruce Norris, and today our special guest is Matthew Candy. He's a chief executive officer and founder of uh, Formatic Property Management. As CEO, he oversees all day-to-day processes and guides the long-term vision. He is always seeking new and innovative ways to improve the rental ownership experience for property owners, continuing his commitment to provide professional, accountable, and reliable services. Due to his extensive experience in rentals throughout the country and deep knowledge of real estate investments, Matt is frequently requested speaker at investor and rental industry seminars and trade groups. Matt also serves as the president of the Long Beach Orange County chapter of the National Association of Residential Property Managers. That's a long title, (laughs) which also covers property managers in the Inland Empire uh, area of California. NARPM is the primary trade group for residential property managers becoming president. Uh, He was president elect in 2019 and treasurer in 2018. Matthew, we welcome you to our show. Thank you very much, Bruce. I appreciate the introduction. You know, everybody's the best property manager uh, until they're not. So, <laughs> and it's uh, it's a big difference, and it's a big responsibility, and it's a it's an important choice for investors, because especially out of state, nothing is easier. Every repair, every placement of tenant, every decision, you're really more reliant on the honesty and integrity of who you're dealing with. So. You know, your company has a tremendous reputation. How did you land there? What are some of the things that keep you there? Well, let me let me start by saying I don't believe in saying we're the best, we're number one, or anything like that. Number one, that's lazy branding. I, I just <laughs> and, and the problem with lazy branding, like we're number one, we're the best, we're things like that, is that it I find that the people who say that, uh, A, they tend to be a little bit um I'm not sure the word I'm looking for, but they're the biggest attribute is they tend to not be forward thinking. Uh, they get sucked in this thing of we're the best and they don't say why. There's a great book. I don't know if you've heard of it, Bruce, but it's called The 22 Immutable Laws of Branding. It's yeah. older. Excellent. Uh, and he talks about it. He says, don't ever go in and say we're number one. That's not a brand. Number one in what? Number one in sales. Number one in sucking. <laughs> uh, number, number one in the opinion. Opinion of ourselves. There you go. <laughs> That's right. In the eyes of our clients who have not left us, we're number one. Uh, so, so that I'd say that's the foundation. Is I just don't believe in saying we're number one or the best. The reality is, is uh, being part of NARPM or NARPM. I the group is all about working together with other managers and improving the industry as a whole. You know, property management, and and this is a long way of answering the question, but I think it's a good foundation. Property management on a professional level through licensed real estate agents hasn't existed for residential homes for very long. It's actually really only came to be in the 60s, uh, mid 60s, late 60s, uh, which in terms of industries is very, very young. Uh, Really the only other industries that are much younger, that are much younger than that are tech related. Uh, And, the issues is that when it started and for a long time, property managers didn't have a good reputation at all. 
I, in fact, my biggest challenge isn't trying to compete against the property managers. It's trying to compete against the bad reputation property managers developed over the first 30 or 40 years of management. Uh, and you see that a lot in the investor communities where these people say, oh, I would never use a manager. They, they stole my money. They did these things. The, the, and there's a lot of background to why those things happened, but ultimately it came down, it comes down to how do we get the reputation? Well, looked at everything and said, how can we continuously daily improve? And uh, you know, just like uh, the whole concept of goals versus wishes is you write it down and you make daily strives for it. Same thing with improvement. Uh, we reach out, we listen. Uh, I will say one of the defining factors of Fermatic, one of the reasons people like us and come to us is that I am a very legally and technically minded person. Uh, I'm not going to be the person that you're necessarily going to be like, you know, hey, I'm going to go have a drink at the bar with Matt because he's the life of the party. Uh, <laughs> unless the life of the party is hearing me spew a bunch of data, in which case, guys, I, I'm, I'm thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and I are on the same page on that one. I, you know me and data. So um, what is the scope of what you manage? Is it all in California? Is it all concentrated in L.A. County? Where, where do you manage most of the inventory? Uh, so right now we have offices in Big Bear, Riverside, Ventura, and actually also Mexico City, Mexico. Uh, and so the and we're looking to continuously expand. The goal for Formatic long term is to uh, in the next eight years is to have about 100 offices domestically and 20 international. Uh, in my past, I have helped start a company that uh, a management company that uh, before I sold my partnership in that. Uh, you know, started from a little closet, basically, to uh, 3,500 homes in 14 cities in 11 states uh, before I sold that to start uh, Formatic, which is a much more customer-centric and data-driven uh, company. So, but right now, uh, we focus in Southern California. We manage anywhere in Southern California, including LA, except for we're not in San Diego, and we do not go uh, into Lancaster, uh, but eventually, probably in the next year. Okay. Um what would you say that the mix of single family rentals that you manage versus apartment units? So our focus right now is on the single and small multifamily. So fourplexes and below, basically. Okay. Uh, of course, we'll do condos and things like that. I have in the past managed 100 plus unit complexes, 300 plus unit complexes, uh, turned them around. Uh, we are going to be opening up an apartment division in the next 18 months, uh, probably between uh, 12 and 18 months. Uh, we do have demand for it and people are asking for it. But Bruce, one thing, uh, going back to the original question, differentiations, I don't believe in being a jack of all trade. I don't believe that's a way to deliver great service. If you, you know, brand dilution is, is just a major problem with many people in real estate. They think, oh, I'll do a little bit of this. I'll do a little bit of that. Uh, we see it with investors too, right? People who, they, every investor conference they go to, oh, I'm going to do flipping. Oh, I'm going to do flipping of multifamily. Oh, I'm going to buy apartments. No, I'm going to buy two, duplexes only. No, I'm going to do notes or I'm going to do, you know, first position, only second position. And they never make much progress. Uh, so eventually we'll open up these other brands. I have in this, this is part of the grand scheme of Matt is uh, I have 18 companies that are all tied together that I'm working on developing. Uh, they all tie together and support each other, uh, but uh, they are separate companies and the apartment company will be a separate one. Okay. 
Um, a lot of investors that we know manage their own properties. Could you give them a couple reasons why that could be more dangerous than they think? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll preface by saying that I support that uh, for some people. Uh, I, I think it's a mistake to tell people that you're not smart enough or you're not capable of doing it or, or things like that. Uh, the reality is, is that, A, depending on the state you're in, uh, matter significantly. Again, I've managed in about a third of the United States. Uh, so I, you know, I'm familiar with how it works in Texas, in North Carolina, in Colorado, in Arizona, uh, all over the place. That said, it is becoming more and more complicated. Property managers used to be viewed as uh, kind of like used car salesmen. Uh, they were there. They're always trying to get their, find a way to get their buck, nickel and diming. And really, they just collected rent and uh, overcharged on maintenance and often didn't even check on the property. And frankly, I have taken over properties uh, for your listeners who, are, who know Hammond and stuff like that. Uh, these smaller outlying communities uh, where there's even less professional management and things are a little more dated in how things are done where I would go in and it had been professionally managed, quote unquote, <laughs> for, for five, six years. And I go in and the house is destroyed. There's little carpet missing from the hallways in patches. There's dogs running around and birds. One of them had like five birds running around pooping on the ground. Uh, and I said, you know, <laughs> professional, you, you do nothing. You just, you just stare the people in the eyes and you, you don't look around you. And uh, you just shake, you shake your hand and remember never to let that hand touch your face. So you get back to the car and put the sanitizer on. And you, uh, and you talk to the residents and you say, oh, hey, it's so great to meet you. When was the last time you, your manager was here before? Oh, I never saw them except for when I signed the lease. Oh, that's interesting because the owner thought that they were visiting every year. Uh, so... So I do want to when I when I talk before I launch to talk about managers, I want to and why you should not do it on your own in most cases. I do want to be clear that doing it on your own is a whole lot better than having a bad manager. Uh, so that that's an important point to uh, to make. Now that said, managers today, professional managers who participate in trade groups such as NARPM or National Association for Residential Property Managers. For, uh, for informational purposes, kind of like uh, the National Association of Realtors, but specifically for residential property managers and far more focused on education and legal issues and protecting private property rights for their clients, which is a big deal for us. Uh, if you're not aware, the National Association of Realtors has a long history of not caring about real estate investors uh, even mom and pop landlords and not really caring about them. They have token classes, token things, but really it's all about getting that sale. Uh, and, you know, and unfortunately when it comes to rights, the rights that they fight for typically in combination with the apartment associations, associations, which I should be clear, I love the California apartment association is fantastic, but you'll find that most of the laws and most of the lobbying is to protect the giant landlords not the small-time investors with a few properties that rely on that income. Uh, so NARPM is a key part of that. So property managers, their main focus today is really to be as a legal and social and financial buffer between you and your residents and all of the liabilities that, it, that encompass. And so when we talk about why use a professional manager, it really comes down to how much risk are you okay having? 
uh, do you know the laws? And if we take COVID as an example, uh, the amount of lawsuits that are being applied to landlords is phenomenal. And in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of California, especially in their judges, uh, most of their judges, because each one's different, uh, ignorance of the law is not a justification for violating the law. It's not an excuse. And these fines can run a couple thousand an incident, uh, but they don't just look at the first incident and say, okay, landlord, uh, there's been a discrimination claim against you. Now, Bruce, let's say, you know, I know you never discriminate anyone and, you know, we've talked several times, but let's say that someone claimed they discriminated against you. Well, what would they do? Well, the, the fair housing comes out and they say, Bruce, we have this claim. It's probably nothing. It's okay, Bruce, relax. Uh, by the way, we need the records of the last two years of every single person who's ever applied to any of your properties, whether you approve them or not, or even took more than 10 seconds to look at them. We want to see your processes for each of them and how you did it. So, uh, oh, and can you get that to us in the next seven days? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it, they'll look. It's not just whether that one. They're going to look to see if you ever did anything in the last two years. And so, you know, systems, processes, legal awareness, we go through legal training every single week in our company. Uh, And we bring in attorneys and we bring in all sorts of specialists uh, to make sure we know what's happening. Uh, So the big thing is that liability. Uh, The other, another element is that we pretty much always get higher rent. The amount of people, and this is a general investment concept here. One of the things that just makes me scream and die inside but while trying to keep a straight face is when i talk to investors and they say oh you know i don't need a manager i have a, I have this great resident uh but just te- uh, verbiage here i don't call people tenants they are residents uh they're not landlords you are rental housing providers or housing heroes <laughs> uh you're not a landlord that's an archaic thing and you're not going to win favors by being called the lord of the land let, let's circle back. Okay. Cause you're, you're talking about, I think you're talking about, they have a great tenant probably didn't raise rent for the That's last right. 10 yep. years. Yep. I've been, I've been guilty of that. I, I have because it was okay. I don't want them to leave. So I have actually landed on that square sometimes I'm not there now, but I have done that. And uh, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've never managed my own properties cause I, I don't enjoy that phone call. That's for sure. And I, so, I, but I think that's that's good information for people to realize that there's a lot of legal uh, ramifications to very innocent things. I've got a question uh, connected to because you've had experience in other states. Do you consider California the most owner-unfriendly state? Absolutely not. No, I, really? I think that I think that's a complete uh, misnomer, complete-ish sort of misnomer. You know what? I'm going to hedge here. It depends on where you live. The issue of California isn't the state so much. It's the local municipalities. Okay. So being a landlord in Los Angeles or San Francisco is a completely different experience than being a landlord in Riverside or in Yucca Valley or in San Diego. Uh, It's night and day. Uh, It's like two different countries. Uh, because those places, uh, places like Los Angeles, the city of Los Angeles, and also the county of Los Angeles, unincorporated, 
uh, they have these rent control boards that were existed before, uh, and the, the act just totally slipped my mind, but it was the um, uh, Prop Prop 8 in, or in uh, 1978, uh, where the state came out and said, hey, no more rent control boards, but if you had them before, then you're, you get to keep it. Well, right. LA had it before, so did San Francisco, and they exercised immense control. So for instance, uh, we're able to kick people out right now in Riverside uh, for all sorts of violations. Uh, we can raise rent, and we have been with, with with limits. This goes back to legal protection. One of the big fines that are happening, just for your California re- uh, listeners, uh, is uh, people aren't aware that we have been under a declared state of emergency in most of California uh, since COVID began. Uh, it's set to expire, I think, June 5th. Uh, or thereabouts, uh, somewhere on there. And that means that it's illegal to raise rent prices more than 10% in a 12-month period uh, anywhere in the state. And uh, the fines can include jail. So would you say some of the issues, because um, I deal with investors, you know, with the Norris Group all the time, and we have some very savvy, very professional investors. Um, would you say that most of the problems with um, people that you have to maybe help out or take over with are... are you know, new investors or maybe accidental investors, people that just inherited a house like, okay, I guess I'm going to rent it out. Let me answer your question. Let me circle back real quick to Bruce, though, and your question on the unfriendly laws. Uh, I do want to simply say that the bigger issue, and you'll find this everywhere, is I've been, uh, I used to be mocked relentlessly uh, for speaking up and speaking across the country about the coming tide of tenant laws uh, you know, we call our people residents, but the laws are typically called tenant laws uh, that would be sweeping the country. I saw this happening because when the recession happened uh, back in 2008, 2009, the amount of people, uh, there was this dynamic shift. And this important thing in understanding the laws and what's happening and why nobody is is safe from this. And no one can rest on the laurels on this. You had, when people were losing their houses, when people wanted, had been living in their house, their three-bedroom, their four-bedroom house with a, with a yard, nobody wanted to, then after that foreclosure, to go live in an apartment. It's hard to give up the dog, the cat, the space for your kids. And so the rentals of res- single-family homes exploded. With that came the market, uh, the market demand for that. And so you saw hedge funds and large private equity groups and REITs all buying up single family homes. Some of those are my clients. I have some national clients uh, and we do all their lease-ups for them and they own thousands of properties in California. Uh, and so, and they do things very different. And frankly, some of them aren't so great at following the laws and, uh, or even just good common business of maintenance and, and resident care. So the issue is, is that now you have people who, of course, they bounce back, they make a bunch of money, they're renters, prices have gone up, some of them bought homes, some of them haven't been able to keep pace with the price, with the down payment requirements and other needs. And so they have disposable income. This is different because before 2008, rent, rent, uh, renters were typically viewed as, and there's a phrase is, that we used to hear a lot, oh, it's just a rental. Oh, they're just renters. Well, when you're dealing with only people who rent because that's all they can do, you can get away with that. 
But that attitude, if you have that attitude and you're putting in low quality stuff and low and low response times, and now it's you're doing it to people who have disposable income and are now renting by choice. The the renting by choice is a massively growing category in the United States because people like the flexibility. Well, do you think that attorney who makes five hundred thousand dollars a year is going to accept the concept of you're just a renter? No, they're going to go push and they're going to make advocacy advocacies. And then we also have a legal dynamic that happens across the country. And this is the other part. And the internet helps fuel this. Most landlords used to live in around the same neighborhood as where their rentals were. And now they don't. If you own a property in Nebraska, how much awareness are you of the laws that are being pushed there? And secondly, let's say you're completely aware. How much voting power do you have there? And the answer to the first is very little knowledge in most cases. And the second part is it doesn't matter because you don't have a single vote. But who does have a vote? Your residents have a vote. And if you're not treating them extraordinarily well, then guess how they're going to vote when it comes to something about your welfare versus their welfare. And you can make all the arguments you want about how they're tied together, but for a lot of people, it's, am I putting food on the table? Or in some cases, can I make that Disney World vacation? So, <laughs> so this is why I think the laws are, are spreading across the country and we're seeing that. To answer your question, Joey, um, who do we generally see more of? Uh, frankly, we get mostly investors who've been in in a long time. Uh, we find that a lot of the new investors, they get on bigger pockets and other, other places, which are great resources uh, for people trying to get some information. But they, you know, there's always that, those groups that tend to, tend to attract the self-made millionaire, right? Uh, I have nothing, but with nothing, I can make something. Uh, and I just have to really put in the hours, put in the time, figure it out. We see this in wholesalers and flippers and, and all sorts of people. Uh, so they give it a go and they think they're doing really well and they lie to each other. And this is the biggest thing I got to tell you guys. I'm sure Bruce and Joey, you've seen this too. The amount of people who lie to each other and lie to themselves about how successful their, their investment properties are because they won't run the real numbers. They feel uncomfortable and sometimes even get upset and angry if you try to dive into it. And it's, it's a tough thing. Education is an ongoing, constant process. But we find that once people start to get more educated and really understand the numbers and really dig into it, that's when they hire the property manager. So, you know, it's, it's mainly people who've been in a little while and realize, you know what? I kind of suck at this. Uh, or maybe I made a bad investment, but I've learned enough now to know I made a bad investment. I can now go make good investments, but I can't take the time to go make the good investments if I still have this albatross around my neck. And then they come and hire a professional manager. When you, uh, when you manage this diverse inventory of properties and the laws changed about maybe an option not to pay, were there, were there types of real estate that did better than others where you had, and by the way, what's, first of all, what's all the overall percentage of people paying versus not paying? I'm just curious. 
So there are no good numbers on overall percentage uh, of paying and not paying, and that's because none of the trade groups are big enough to really track that in a meaningful way on a national or even a state level yet, and they don't communicate enough. That is one of my things that I'm pushing forward long term. Uh, that said, uh, I would say that the numbers we hear are generally conflated or missing perspective. Uh, you hear those on the national news about, oh, this many people. Uh, the reality is, is that a lot of the buildup is just because with the normal evictions couldn't be done, not just the non-rent ones. The cases, for instance, in California, when they just shut the courts down to any kind of eviction, uh, where they said, okay, well, technically you can evict them, Joey, if you, uh, if they move in 10 people and five dogs and do all these other things. Uh, they say, so you're absolutely allowed. That's an exception. That's a breach of the lease. By the way, the courts are closing for the next six months. Right. So you couldn't do anything. And so there's just a backlog of standard people who shouldn't be allowed to remain uh, at all. And we find that when you average it out over that period of time, the amount of people late uh, and depending possible eviction is the same as always. In fact, there's really no change at all uh, from everything that we've seen. Uh, on our side, less than 5% of our residents uh, were affected or claimed to have been affected by COVID. We do have them sign all the forms every month, and we go through all this as part of the legal side that we handle. Uh, of those, only two of them were residents that we placed, and they were both genuinely affected, and they verified it, and everything's good there. And they have applied for aid immediately whenever it's available, and uh, and everything's good there. So the... The bigger issues have been the bad actors, the bad apples from the beginning. In terms of what class of real estate, frankly, it's the bigger houses. The bigger the house, the more likely they seem to have chosen to not pay rent, uh, even when they could. Uh, okay. We have a property. I'll just share this story. I have a property in uh, Ventura. Actually, just sold yesterday. Uh, thank goodness. Uh, on, the, on the beach, private dock. Rented for $6,400 a month. They owned one boat. And you know what they wanted, Bruce, is they wanted to buy that house. And they wanted to buy it for a significant discount. They already own several houses. Okay. But they wanted to buy this house. The owners didn't want to sell it to them for that price. But the owners decided they did want to sell. So the resident starts causing problems. And then they, they wouldn't allow people in saying, oh, we have COVID. You know, they say, oh, we have COVID. And then literally that night, the neighbor calls us and says they're throwing a block party next door. Uh, and, uh, and they're all out there, right? So COVID, but you can't come in for, uh, to show the home for sale. Uh, they stopped paying rent. They claimed COVID. They hired attorneys. They did everything. You know, one of the advantages of property managers, I'm completely unfazed by this. They were threatening and breathing fire and, you know, we're going to sue you and you're going to go to jail. And, and, you know, we, I read, I've read all the COVID laws. I personally read all those COVID laws. Uh, all the way through uh, about once every week to make sure I'm on top of it. So the, but they didn't pay rent. We couldn't do anything really about it for six months. Uh, we finally got them out through a settlement. Uh, and the owner, you know, fortunately, real estate prices were going up. The owner actually made money by, uh, right. by, by having go longer. 
Uh, but these people, what did they do? Oh, you know, one of the times, oh, we don't have any money for rent. What do we see next month? They bought a second boat, cash, brand new, sitting on the dock. So that's one example, but I'd say that makes up the majority of the cases we've seen of actual people abusing, uh, not paying rent. Well, what's interesting about what you just said, and this is, uh, uh, I, I have had very little experience in court, but what you just basically said was that there's a lot of, I don't know if people get sworn in, but I think you kind of do. Whenever you're in a situation like that, you promise everything's going to be truthful. Is there any? Is there ever any ramifications for someone bold-faced lying? Ever? No. no. Okay. <laughs> no, it, it, there are things. I mean, look, the CDC, which is the national one, and California, they both have these things where uh, you ha they have to sign that what they're saying is truthful, otherwise they're committing perjury, and that's you know that's an actual offense, you know that's a um, that's a felony, and all these things. Bruce, if that was your resident in there, and you want to sell the house, and you're just tired of their crap, and you want them out, you're going to not pursue them for that. You just want them out. Right. You need your property back, and that's why there's no accountability because ultimately, after they cost you all that money. How much money do you have to go pursue them and file charges against them? And how likely are the prosecutors going to be focusing on that case for a private housing provider or landlord, right? The lord of the land uh, versus dealing with much more pressing issues. And, you know, we I once um, had an extensive um, five hour conversation with the Riverside County D.A. Uh, about. Uh, about dealing with fraud in, real, in rentals and real estate and, uh, and dealing with it. And he said, the reality is, is something like 95% of them, they won't take up, even though they seem pretty clear, because even the most clear-cut case, and he gave several examples, I, he gave one that they had just finally closed out, and it started six years before. And you know what the consequence was? Like two weeks in jail. So, no, there's no there's no justice for it. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Please be sure to join us next week for part two of our interview with Formatic Property Management CEO, Matt Tandy. See you then, and thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com. The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 01219911, Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, and NMLS License 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to thenorrisgroup.com and click the Hard Money tab.